Thanks for joining me for another episode of Paranormally Speaking. I'm your host, Neil Parks. This week's episode, I will be discussing dark entities that operate within the prison system. Haunted prisons, the demonic entities that move from person to person, and everything revolving around dark influence. What causes people what potentially could cause these people to commit these crimes, these dark, sinister crimes, and the time they spent in prison behind the four-world world, what was left behind upon their execution and or untimely death, whether it be by the hands of the state or the hands of an inmate. I remember being in high school when we went to an open haunted house. It was one of the first times that the Mansfield Reformatory in Mansfield, Ohio was open to the public conducting a haunted walkthrough of a haunted prison. And from cell to cell, from hall to hall, and block to block, the energy in that building was extremely negative. It filled me with dread. It was very heavy, almost hard to breathe. It really put me through a lot to walk through that and to breathe and to move and to keep my composure. And this was at a time before any one of my closest friends and mainly family had any idea that I was investigating the paranormal, the supernatural. They knew I was interested in it, but they did not know that I was writing things down, comparing keeping notes, keeping logs, a journal, going from spot to spot and evaluating my surroundings. This was all before I ever had the bank to buy any kind of equipment or any kind of equipment like that that was readily available to an average citizen. It wasn't mainstream. So I had nothing other than my own gut, intuition, and spidey sense. That's what guided me. So we're at the Mansfield Reformatory doing a group walkthrough with a tour guide. And he takes us to where old Sparky, which was the electric chair that was so often used years before, was sitting there, spotlight on it. And I decide I want to take a photograph sitting in the electric chair. So my friends are photographing me as I sit down it was, I guess, an unwritten rule that you do not sit in the electric chair. And the tour guide flipped out. You've got to get out of that. You can't sit in there. And I'm like, it's not plugged in. He said, it's always active. It's just not charged. So as I'm sitting there, before anything was said to me, the feeling of dread and hate filled me. To the top. It it wasn't like I, I hated anyone or I wanted to hurt anyone, but I felt what was left behind from those who had met their fate in that chair. It etched itself into that inanimate object, into that space and time. And it was just constantly swirling this evil feeling of dread and hate and discontent. And it took me over like hands grabbing me and holding me there. And I felt those experiences and I felt that energy. It was, it was truly an alarming experience. So from that point on, after I left the chair and got back with the group, they told me I was no longer allowed to come to the Mansfield Reformatory for any future open houses or functions or a walkthrough, ghost tour, whatever you wanted to call it at that time. And they put a velvet rope around Old Sparky and no longer allowed people to get anywhere near it. But that feeling never left me, what I experienced while sitting in the electric chair. And then, of course, finding out shortly thereafter that it was still plugged in, it just wasn't charged. Uh, if someone really wanted to screw around, they could have flipped it on. And the longer I sat there, uh, the quicker the charge could have been. But, of course, I didn't have the headpiece on. But anyway, 
That's what this week's episode is about. And I will be right back after this important message from one of my sponsors. Fantastic. Roswell, UFOs, flying saucers, alien abduction. Are we alone? Information regarding this and many other questions about the unknown are only a click away at www.theufostore.com. Theufostore.com offers hundreds of DVDs about UFOs, aliens, crop circles, conspiracies, Bigfoot, suppressed science, ancient mysteries. Log on to www.theufostore.com and request a free UFO store catalog. Theufostore.com, the largest selection of UFO products on the Internet. Imagine no longer being tied down to your computer, but having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application. The talk shows you follow now follow you. And your iPhone is now the fastest and easiest way to stay connected to the best talk radio on the Internet. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Mobile talk radio from TalkStream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. That's terrific. Thank you for coming back for more Inside the Haunted Prison of the Shawshank Redemption. Stand in front of the Ohio State Reformatory today, and you might have a hard time believing it once operated as a maximum security prison. With its soaring French chateau-like spires, intricate brickwork, and stained glass windows, the late 19th century building looks more like a grand hotel that once housed the rich and famous. But walk through its long institutional hallways, past the massive cells with their rusting barred doors and dirty shagging bunks. And you might just recall the bleak, hopeless prison of the 1994 film, The Shawshank Redemption. It was shot there in 1993 and celebrating its... 30th anniversary next year starring Tim Robbins and Morgan Freeman the movie followed a man falsely convicted of murder on his decades long quest for freedom and redemption as you stroll the reformatory's corridors you might think you hear the clanking of cell doors and prisoners cries as well for believers the former prison in the city of Mansfield Ohio is one of the most haunted spots in the United States. It's a place where the ghosts of abused inmates and staff with heavily consciences roam the halls and moving equipment and slamming doors. Indeed, even without ghosts, the building's crumbling walls, peeling paint, and cracking windows are eerie enough to provoke chills. The building opened in 1896 with the goal of offering young male nonviolent first-time offenders the chance of rehabilitation rather than condemning them to the state penitentiary and columbus the community was so proud of its new progressive institution that the local rickland shield and banner newspaper declared the brown break breaking mansfield's greatest day lauding the reformatory for its steps towards prison reform there was a charter school on the grounds, and inmates were trained in everything from woodwork to farming, said Ron Puff, one of the reformatory's head tour guides. They even produced their own food. At first, rates among former inmates were as low as 10% to 15%, Puff said. But laws changed, and that system fell apart, and it became more of a standard prison over time. In the 1970s, in fact, the reformatory was declared a maximum security prison and it developed a reputation for what activists called brutalizing inhumane conditions. The hole made famous by the Shawshank Redemption was based on a real place, an area where inmates were deemed in need of more severe punishment, were placed in solitary confinement and made to sleep on concrete floors. Today, you can climb down into the guts of the reformatory and visit the legendary hole. Even years after the last prisoner left, it invokes a cold, dark horror. When the reformatory finally ceased operation in 1990, after decades of protests, Ohio State officials wanted to tear it down, 
But before that could happen, Shawshank location scouts took an interest in the building, drawn to its architecture, a combination of Victorian Gothic, Richardson, Romanac, and Queen Anne that includes high arched windows and elegant turrets. It was because of Shawshank, Puff said, that the building was spared. Fortunately, after the movie was made, preservationists were able to talk to the state who determined that the front half of the building containing cell blocks and the administration area would not be torn down. A cottage tourism industry has sprung up around the film and it reaches well beyond the former prison in and around Mansfield. You can follow a dedicated Shawshank trail to see Brooks halfway house, the old oak tree where Andy buried his fortune and the woods where the movie's opening scene Andy sat in the car clutching a revolver. But at the center of it, of course, is the Ohio State Reformatory and its long history. You don't find buildings built this way anymore, especially prisons, Puff said. So preservationists' goals was to save and preserve this site and the history of reform. They wanted people to remember that we had going here in Mansfield at that point. In fact, these days, several of the Mansfield Reformatory Preservation Society tour guides are former inmates. One of them was there in the 1960s, Puff said, and another was there in the 1980s. So their tours are a little different because they were in the same cell blocks, but under different laws. They can give the history better than most. Walking through the bleak cell blocks with someone who once lived there offers a powerful reminder of the building's past. But now, when the darkness and whispers of restless spirits become too much, visitors can do what prisoners could not, stroll right out of the front doors. The reformatory is open to the public, normally from April to September, offering self-guided overnight ghost hunts and guided tours. The times and the hours may have changed due to COVID restrictions. Every October, the Mansfield Reformatory Preservation Society hands the prison over to the Haunted X, which for the entire month transforms the building into a haunted house, complete with actors, props, and animatronics. Please hold for an important message from one of my sponsors. Unparalleled Insider Access. Get it all. Introducing the SiriusXM Platinum VIP Plan. Our newest, most exclusive plan. Listen in two cars, plus stream anywhere with two app logins. Access a massive, exclusive library of live concert video and audio recordings through nugs.net. Have opportunities to experience live and virtual SiriusXM events, including VIP-only exclusives. Get all your questions answered by a dedicated VIP customer care team. Plus, get all the entertainment we've got. It's all included with your Platinum VIP subscription. Be a VIP. Call 844-711-8800 to learn more. Offer details apply. One login for activated vehicle. Not available in Canada. The paranormal, the supernatural, strange, dark entities, and demonic influence operating within prisons. Most corrections officers will tell you that they've seen it all. But what about the paranormal? The scariest things corrections officers have seen behind the wall. Most corrections officers will tell you they've seen it all. So I asked my audience a while ago to share the scariest, strangest, or most unexplained things they've seen in their career. And their stories were downright spooky. The roundup that I have compiled came from corrections officers and prison guards, which is why I'm doing this episode on the podcast, because I had a lot to cover. This one I will call The Visitor. In the mid-2000s, this is the corrections officer speaking, we had a male suicide in a pod that had always been exclusively male inmates since the building was built. This was our facility's first suicide since its construction in the mid-1990s. A couple of years later, females were moved into that pod. I was passing meds one day, and a female inmate was telling me 
how she had been hearing noises in the middle of the night in her cell. She went on to tell me that she would wake up and see a shadow walking through her cell and then through her wall into the ceiling next door. What she didn't know was that the cell next door was the cell where the suicide had occurred. The inmate hung themselves from the ceiling. This one is from another corrections officer. I will call it a hanger. The corrections officer says, I came in on overtime on midnight shift at 3 a.m. And I would be up doing 15-minute medical cell checks. Three weeks earlier, we had a hanger. On my fourth pass, I see a young male hanging in the cell. I called on the radio for the control center to open the door and turn on the cell lights. When they did, he disappeared completely. I then realized what cell I was at. When I returned by the control center, they asked if everything was okay. Apparently, I looked a little pale from the experience because my lieutenant asked me if I saw him. I said, yeah, he said rest of the staff working that until I have to as well. The next one that was sent to me is flood. A few days after we had an inmate pass away, we had a flood in our medical unit and couldn't figure out where it was coming from. Finally found the sink in a back room of the dentist office was flooding. The plug had been put in tight and the water turned on full blast. When the camera footage was reviewed, it showed that not a single person had gone in that office at all that day. This one I will call laughing at me. One night around 1.45 a.m., back when I first started on night shift, I saw an inmate in the top-tier day room with just a white t-shirt on staring at me through the day room window. I jumped up from my chair and checked the day room and nobody was in there. I checked the doors and they were locked. I went back to the desk and started writing in my logbook. When I looked up, the same inmate was in the bottom day room laughing at me. I went to the other wing and didn't go back to that wing alone ever again. This one I will call leaving a mark. There was a female inmate in the segregation unit. The day when I took over shift, she told me that there was a man standing by her bed the night before that he was very tall, heavy set, and looked Native American. I told her that there was no way because no men could be in the pod uh, with another female present. She said she thought it was a dead person. I offered her a Bible and she refused to take it. The next day I came in, she called me to her cell, told me that she had been hurt by this ghost. She said she was awoken by this figure and she got scared and covered herself with the blankets. Then the ghost grabbed her leg and squeezed really hard. She then showed me the handprint on her leg, and I believed her at that point. This female inmate was so tiny, and the handprint was like three times bigger than her little hand. She, was, she then asked for the Bible and requested to be moved from that cell. This one I will call finish the count, based on what the person submitted. Working first watch can always be interesting, especially in an old pen like the California training facility in Soledad. One night working alone in the F wing, I finished my walk for count and returned to the office. As I waited for count to be called, I began to hear keys jingling on the tier. I exited the office to investigate. I started to climb the steps, then the keys stopped. I flashed my light around the second and third tier and saw nothing. I returned to the office again, and then I heard the keys jingling and went to inspect. The sound stopped again as I reached the second tier. I walked both the second and third tier, finding nothing. I said, I have completed my count so you can finish yours. I didn't hear anything else that night. Tiny handprints. Once while working the main gate post at St. Mary's Correctional Center in West Virginia, a facility that used to be home for the mentally ill, children of course, I saw tiny handprints about the size of a toddler appear halfway up the glass 
about face level of a six-foot person. The handprints were in a perfectly straight line across the windows. It was midweek, no visitors, and in the middle of the night. Knock, knock. While working the tower at the Garza East Unit in Bealville, Texas, I was sitting on a small chair leaning against a bigger chair that looks like an old wooden electric chair. While sitting there, I had my leg lift and extended on top of a trap metal door where you enter and exit. After about 30 minutes of peace and quiet, I heard what sounded like someone enter through the door down at the bottom of the tower. Then a minute later, something hit or pushed against the trap door so hard the door lifted a few inches and kicked my leg off the top. I got up quickly thinking someone was trying to come in through or was playing a joke. I turned the light on and opened the door, expecting someone to be there. Nothing or nobody was there. Just dust that was recently kicked up, blowing in my face, as if whoever had done it just vanished. This is one night I will never forget. And now time for a commercial. Now playing one of the biggest podcasts of the week on the free iHeartRadio app. Now number one for podcasting. Is the Eastern State Penitentiary really, really haunted? With its looming gloomy high stone walls, crumbling corridors, and stark cells that once hosted thousands of hardcore criminals, Eastern State Penitentiary certainly looks haunted. Its 142-year-old history is full of suicide, madness, disease, murder, and torture, making it easy to imagine the spirits of troubled souls left behind to roam its abandoned halls. Now, I can't elaborate on this enough. This is one of the reasons why I do not do walkthroughs or investigations in prisons. The darkness was left behind by these people who were filled with so much darkness and demonic energy, running free through the halls of these vacant buildings and some prisons that are still in operation. It's not really a good idea to put yourself in the situation where you become the playthings to these dark entities. They can mess with your perception. They can manipulate you. They can instill fear unlike anything you've ever experienced by just messing with your mind. I can't elaborate on this enough or stress it enough that it's not really wise to do an investigation in a prison. Now, your typical haunted walkthroughs with a group of people, that's different entirely because you have a large group of people walking through and the overall energy that's omitted from person to person within the atmosphere of any building, for that matter, can completely alter and manipulate what normal findings would be in any situation during an investigation. So could it be something related to the paranormal happenings of the building itself or actual manipulated energy from our own internal EVP and EMPs? The harsh punishments used on prisoners are enough to make you shiver even when seeing a ghost. There was the water bath in which inmates were dunked, then hung out on a wall in winter until ice formed on their skin. Then there's the mad chair, which uh, you bound an inmate so tightly that the circulation was cut off, later necessitating amputations. Then there's the iron gag, in which an inmate's hands were tied behind the back and strapped to an iron collar in the mouth, so that any movement caused the tongue to tear and bleed profusely. And the hole, a dank underground cell where unfortunate souls had no light, no human contact, no exercise, no toilet, and little food and air. The prison, which closed in 1971, is considered by several sources to be one of the most haunted places in America. It has been featured on the Travel Channel's Ghost Adventures and Most Haunted Live, Sci-Fi's Ghost Hunters, and MTV's Fear. Dozens of paranormal researchers visit every year and report 
that it's a hub of otherworldly activity. Perhaps most convincingly, there are the stories of eerie experiences by visitors, staff, guards, and inmates that have corroborated each story since the 1940s. Cell Block 12 is known for echoing voices and crackling and cackling. Cell Block 6 for shadowy figures darting along the walls. Cell Block 4 for visions of ghostly faces. Many people have reported seeing a silhouette of a guard in one of the towers. Footsteps, wailing, whispers, the same stories over and over again. One of the most legendary tales comes from Gary Johnson, who helps maintain the crumbling old locks at the prison. In the early 1990s, he had just opened an old lock in cell block four, when he says a force gripped him so tightly that he was unable to move. He described a negative, horrible energy that exploded out of the cell. He said tormented faces appeared on the cell walls and that one form in particular beckoned to him. But tour guide Ben Bookman says it's a lot harder to find a believer than it is to find a skeptic here. We at Eastern State do not claim that the prison is haunted. We do run a haunted attraction, however. Bookman said the staff does not like to exploit the prison's darker image. Most people making TV shows come and looking for ghosts. That's not the story that we tell. Inmates were real people. These were people's lives. 70,000 people spent time here. We're not going to glorify it, and we're not going to make fun of it. Perhaps hauntings are a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you want to have a haunted experience, your imagination just might make sure you do. Certainly, there are thousands of visitors who say they've experienced no odd feelings, no sudden chills, no strange sounds, no apparitions. And yet there are plenty who say that they have. What do you want to believe? Monster.fandom.com That's monster.fandom.com The devil made them do it. Ten crimes blamed on demonic possession. It is part of accepted colloquial speech to blame personal tragedy or personal weakness on demons. When someone commits suicide, people often speak about the dead's battle with their own demons. When someone commits a foul, bloody deed, another set of demons are invoked, the kind that warp minds and force otherwise good and decent souls to carry out murder. Both the Christian and secular worldviews see demons as malefic parasites that destroy human goodness. They, of course, debate whether or not demons are real or just mental illness. Some criminals believe in demons, and some even believe in demons so much that they have blamed their behavior on demonic possession. The case of David Berkowitz, also known as the Son of Sam, is the most well-known example of a serial killer blaming a demon for their actions. In that case... Berkowitz blamed the demon that had possessed Sam, his neighbor's dog. The following ten cases are nowhere near as famous as the son of Sam, but they all feature murderers and the demons that supposedly drove them to kill. For starters, the murder of Lauren Landavatsko. 13-year-old Lauren was walking with her friend, 13-year-old Michaela Smith, on September 2, 2006. The pair were walking home after school along a typically suburban footpath. At some point, the two girls were approached by a young man in a car. That man was 20-year-old Cody Lott. Lott would later give two explanations for why he did what he did that day. He was jealous because Landa Vasco seemed to have a boyfriend and the devil wanted him to do it. Regardless of which one is being the truth, Lot opened fire on both girls with a twenty-two rifle. Smith, who managed to survive the ambush, told police that Lot made eye contact with her first before pulling the trigger. Eyewitnesses also claimed that Lot shot Lot Zatsko first before shooting her again after wounding Smith. At his 2018 trial, Lot repeated that it was the devil that helped him to plan the shooting. 
prosecution struck the idea that Lot was mentally unstable and angry over his inability to find a romantic partner. In one of the weirder aspects of the trial, Lot's mother and stepfather sued the city of Wichita Falls, Texas, in order to retrieve the murder weapon. According to them, the twenty-two rifle that Lot had used in the murder had been stolen from their apartment. Lot was first at first found mentally unfit to stand trial and was sent to the maximum security unit of Texas Mental Hospital. Then, in September 2018, a Fort Worth jury found Lot guilty of the murder of Lauren Lavdazanko. Plus, they found him guilty of aggravated assault and the shooting of Michaela Smith. Lot, the man who claimed to have talked with the devil, was sentenced to life in prison. Number 9. The Attack on Peter Cherm According to his grieving family, 65-year-old Peter Cherm was a beloved father and grandfather. 17-year-old Tommy Smith did not care about any of this. The only thing he cared about on February 24, 2015 was getting the keys to Cherm's Range Rover. When Cherm stepped in to stop the young punk from stealing his vehicle, Smith, who had already been convicted of a staggering 57 offenses, pulled out a knife and stabbed Cherm in the head, back, neck, chest, and arms. The stabbing attack was so frenzied that Smith actually snapped the 8-inch knife in two. Smith went on trial for attempted murder in March 2016. Smith told the Wolverhampton Crown Court that he was not responsible for his actions and he had been possessed by a demon on that terrible day. The court more than likely did not buy the possession story, but they did take into account that Smith had been previously diagnosed as a paranoid schizophrenic. As such, he was cleared of the charge of attempted murder. He was, however, convicted of grievous bodily harm and burglary. Cherm was in the courtroom for Smith's sentencing, despite being blind in one eye and having survived a serious stroke as a result of Smith's onslaught. Rather than a jail cell, Smith was sent to a secure mental hospital for an indefinite period of time. The Failed Exorcism of Michael Taylor is our number eight. Believe it or not, in our secular age, exorcisms are on the rise. Last year, it was reported that the Roman Catholic Church in the United States was seeing a rise in the overall number of exorcisms throughout the country. And unfortunately, there is a shortage of exorcists. And in a, of Indianapolis alone received 1,700 exorcism requests between January and December of 2019. But back in 1974, one year before the release of the classic film The Exorcist, an exorcism was carried out in the sleepy town of Ossat, West Yorkshire, England. The possessed subject was one Michael Taylor, a 31-year-old married father of five children. Most who knew Taylor described him as a cheery fellow, although he was prone to fits of depression. Now and then, for the most part of these black moods, were the result of back injury and made it hard for Taylor to maintain steady employment. Things began to change in the Taylor household when they joined the Christian Fellowship Group, a local church organization. The previously irreligious Michael began regularly attending church services. One of the reasons for his dramatic change was 21-year-old Marie Robinson, the group's preacher. Robinson convinced her congregation that the power of God could drive out their demons. Outside of these meetings, some in Osset began to claim that Robinson and Taylor were carrying out an affair. The more Taylor became involved with Robinson, the more his attitude began to change. The once chipper man became easily irritated and foul-tempered. Things came to a head when Taylor and Robinson were found naked together. Taylor blamed this on an evil presence within himself, and local Anglican vicar was called to perform an exorcism. During an all-night ceremony in October of 1974, the vicar other ministers apparently drove out 40 demons, including the demons of bestiality, incest, lewdness, and blasphemy. However, 
the exhausted clergyman decided to go home, even though they still believed that three demons, murder, violence, and insanity, were still in Taylor. A few hours later, Taylor was found covered in blood, which he claimed belonged to Satan himself. The blood, in fact, belonged to his wife, Christine, those mutilated, whose mutilated body was later discovered in the Taylor home. Taylor was ultimately found not guilty by reason of insanity. Number seven, the murder of Angie Escobar. On September 10th, 2015, a body was discovered inside of an abandoned car in the Whitestone section of Queens, New York. The body belonged to 28-year-old Angie Escobar, who had died after being stabbed some 80 times. The medical examiner in the case found that Angie had been killed four days prior to her discovery. Before long, the New York Police Department zeroed in on a suspect, 31-year-old Luis Zambrano of Flushing, Queens. Zambrano was arrested on September 18th after fleeing to Virginia. Zambrano ultimately confessed to police that he had stabbed Escobar with a pair of scissors after the single mother admitted that she wanted to break off their relationship. In pleading guilty, Zambrano claimed that he had been possessed by a demon at the time of the murder. Zambrano also blamed trust issues for his actions. Number six, Mommy is a Killer. Elizabeta Plaskowatske of Naperville, Illinois, began hearing voices sometime before October 30th, 2012. These voices told Elizabeta that her child and one of her friends were possessed and needed to die in order to find salvation. Elizabeta gave in to these voices, and on October 30th, she killed seven-year-old Justin Plaskowatske and five-year-old Olivia Dwarasgowski, Justin was Elizabeth's son, while Olivia was spending the night in the Plasky Awaska family home. Number five, a frenzy of extreme violence. In Lutton, England, it's a rough place. Earlier in 2018, crime studies in the UK found that the city was one of the highest burglary rates in all of England and Wales. Lutton is also notorious as a popular home for some of the UK's most fearsome jihadists. As recently as July 2019, a 28-year-old man and a 25-year-old woman were arrested in the city and accused of carrying documents implicating them in a forthcoming terror attack. Lutton was the scene of a very different type of horror on May 26, 2015. That night, 32-year-old Jason Nelson, originally from Granada, went to the home of 20-year-old drug dealer Jordan McGuire. The goal was to buy weed. However, Nelson didn't buy anything that night. Instead, he stabbed McGuire several times before fleeing into the night. McGuire managed to cling to life long enough to die in the street like a dog. After the police apprehended the suspect, he claimed that demons were surrounding the men that he murdered and that the demons told him in order to free himself, he had to kill McGuire. Please hold for a word from our sponsor. Hey guys, good news. The outrageously expensive little blue pill is now generic, which means you can get the prescription medication to treat ED at affordable prices. And Hems makes it extra affordable. You pay just 30 bucks for a month's supply. And right now, get your first online doctor's visit totally free when you go to 4 slash good. That's right, free, zero copay, no expensive appointments, no awkward face-to-face -face conversations to get your prescription. Hims connects you to doctors online who can evaluate you and, if appropriate, prescribe your ED medication. And a pharmacy sends it right to your door. Hims makes it affordable, private, and incredibly easy. Nobody likes dealing with ED. Now, thanks to Hims, nobody has to. And that's really good news. To start your free online visit, you need to go to this exclusive address, forhims.com slash good. That's forhims.com slash good for your free online visit. F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash good. Family is big around here. We're family-owned, family-operated, family-managed. And that means legacy. That means dependability. That means using Granger. 
With over 1.5 million products and knowledgeable product experts, Granger has whatever we need. And with same-day pickup and next-day delivery options, they have it whenever we need it. For over 90 years, businesses like ours have trusted Granger. Because, like family, Granger's got our back. Call, clickgranger.com, or stop by to see for yourself. Granger, for the ones who get it done. The Devil on Trial. Brookline, Connecticut is the type of town where murder never happens. In fact, when 40-year-old Alan Bono was murdered on February 16, 1981, it was Brookline's first homicide since the town had been founded 193 years earlier. The guilty party had stabbed Bono more than 20 times with a common pocket knife. The killer was 19-year-old Arne Cheyenne Johnson. Went to trial proclaiming a most unusual defense, not guilty by a reason of demonic possession. The Devil App. In February 2019, police in Kalamazoo, Michigan, released the 2016 interrogation tapes of spree killer Jason Dalton. Dalton, 48, carried out one of the most inexplicable mass shootings in recent memory. On February 20, 2016, Dalton, an Uber driver, shot and killed 62-year-old Mary Lou Nye and her sister-in-law, 60-year-old Joe Nye, 74-year-old Dorothy Judy Brown, 68-year-old Barbara Hawthorne, and 53-year-old Richard Smith, and his 17-year-old son Tyler. And between some of these drive-by shootings, Dalton continued to pick up passengers and drop them off at their destinations. 14-year-old Abigail Kampf and 28-year-old Tina Carruthers were also shot during Dalton's rampage, but they managed to survive. During his interrogation, Dalton told detectives that Uber Mobile app began changing his personality. I know you guys are going to have a hard time believing this, but it literally took over my mind and body, Dalton told investigators. Cannibal Killers, number two. It is not easy to horrify the Russian public, but that is what happened in August 2008 in a forest outside of the city of Yarskolov. Four mutilated corpses were found. The bodies had been desecrated beyond belief. Plus, homicide investigators also learned that the victims, all of whom were teenage boys, had been robbed either before or after death. Still, despite this fact, the sheer brutality of the crime led investigators to believe that robbery was not the motive. Following a trial which was closed to the public due to the gruesome nature of the crime, 21-year-old Aga Balak was sentenced to 20 years in prison on charges of robbery, murder, and corpse desecration. The other five members of the robbery group, four boys and one girl, were given sentences that ranged from 8 to 10 years. They did these crimes in order to please Lucifer, they claimed. And number one, the strange case of serial killer Sean Sellers. At the tender age of 16, Sean Sellers was practicing Satanism. He regularly drank his own blood. According to Sellers himself, his descent into darkness began at around age 7. However, given his rough upbringing, one could say that Sellers was damned from the beginning. All of Sean's rage and humiliation exploded on March 5th of 1986, wearing only a pair of black underwear Sean crept into his parents' bedroom and shot both in the face. Sean would later state that he was angry at his mother because she disapproved of his girlfriend and the fact that he had dropped out of high school. Prior to the murders, Sean had carried out occult practice rituals. Who do these demons attack and why do they do it? They attack anyone and everyone who unwittingly allows it. They've been known to enter into people experimenting with Ouija boards, EVP, and playing around with satanic rituals and satanic literature. Victims of severe physical, emotional, or sexual abuse are prime targets. They are already primed to feel bad about themselves. Extreme cases of attacks are labeled paranoid schizophrenia by psychiatric community. But everyday common people like you and I are subject to attack too. 
You need to know that being attacked does not mean you are crazy. It does not mean you are mentally ill. There's no malfunction of the brain. Saying otherwise would be like saying that robbery or rape victims are mentally ill. They were attacked, and so were you. Why do they drain people's energy? The negative energy produced by negative emotion is their food source. If they can get you to generate negative feelings, it is that negative emotion upon which they feast. It may sound bizarre, but it is absolutely true. It is the reason vampire movies subsequently shake us to our core. Subconsciously, of course. These entities are energy vampires. A really good question is, how are these demons able to do these things? They get you to generate negative emotion for their consumption by inserting negative, guilt-ridden, fearful, or distressing thoughts into your mind, then urging you to believe and respond to those thoughts as if they are true. They are sly, and they use trickery and lies to manipulate you into hearing, sensing, or feeling something troublesome or fearful. False evidence appearing real. Evidence of their activity becomes clear to the average person when an unwelcome intrusive thought barges into your mind. A thought so repulsive that on your own you would never have come up with such ugliness and you certainly have no intention of acting on it. You intuitively feel that such a thought is wrong, not yours, and does not belong in your mind. So think about this. If you're not if it's not your intention to bring up such a thought, entertain or act upon it, then where did it originate? If it's not you and doesn't belong in your head, then it has come from outside of you. You may ask yourself, are people helpless against this? Not at all. You are not helpless against these things, but you do need to get your head out of the sand, realize they exist, and get to know how your enemy operates. There are many things you can do to fight back and eventually reach a point where you can live your life without their interference and attacks. If things are constantly going wrong in your life, there is a high probability that you are under spiritual attack. The most important thing is they absolutely do not want you to know is that they can invade your mind and are energy parasites feeding off of your life energy like a tapeworm absorbs food passing through your intestines. These entities need negative emotional energy to survive. They are successful when you assume their thought implants belong to you and are your thoughts. They will tell you they are your own thoughts once you become aware of this parasite enemy and the game it plays. You don't have to buy into anything that is not from you. You are higher spiritual source. This is not a physical war, it's a spiritual one, and it's as serious as it gets. It may surprise you to know that these parasites have complete access to your memory. In the case of one patient, for this doctor, they brought up guilt-ridden behavior that she had forgotten for years. They can and will find the most negative and guilt-provoking incidences they can find in your mind and bring them to your awareness. Then they continue to rub your transgressions in your face as long as you don't forgive yourself and continue to generate negative emotion. All negative thoughts they insert into your mind about yourself are custom designed to make you feel guilty, angry, worthless, helpless, and hopeless. Remember the times you've obsessed over past transgressions and just couldn't get something you'd done wrong out of your mind? If only I had not done that, said that, things would be different. If only I could take that back, life would be better. If only I'd been there, that would not have happened. This is them at work. The longer they can keep beating you up and allowing you to beat yourself up, the more negative energy you generate and the larger the feast you provide for these parasites. They then use your own life energy against you, fostering conflict and turmoil and insisting others can't be trusted. Available to order now, my first audiobook, Neil Parks Presents Truly Terrifying Tales, narrated by me. It's ready to order and download on bandcamp.com. My other books, of course, are always available to order on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and lulu.com. You can also order t-shirts that I designed that I normally sell at conventions, festivals, lectures, and my book signings. 
I always have the 9-inch tall 3D printed Bigfoot silhouettes available, and last spring my first children's book was released. It was written by my good friend and fellow author, R.L. Walker. I illustrated this book, and it was a major shift in gears for me, considering that my writing and art style has always been dark and scary. To order any of what I just mentioned, you can also go to my email, which is parksparanormal at gmail.com. That is parksparanormal at gmail.com. Standing by. That's it for this week. Paranormally Speaking, signing off. This is Neil Parks, your host. Thank you so much for joining me for this week's episode of Paranormally Speaking, where I discussed creepy prison tales, darkness that exists within prison walls, and how it's not really wise to toy with it. Join me next week for more, but not the same. I always have something cool cooked up. I will catch you later. Have a great weekend. Thank you so much for listening to Paranormally Speaking. Yeah.